new CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent island, we got here. Walk to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. Second time this week. Second time joined by Chris Anderson for this Paramount podcast. Chris, on Monday, the old mailbag basketball questions to kick off an open week during the season. Speaking of kickoff, time for some football questions. I think the interest, the excitement about basketball thinning, understandably, football season's getting closer. The offseason's been filled with good headlines for the Mountaineers. Um, interpretable if you go to the coaching staff, but certainly optimistic if you go to the transfer portal and maybe even some whispers about the NFL draft. Spring football will be here before you know it. We're talking about Iron Mountaineers. Spring game, probably the transfer portal again. Well, who are we to fight? Let's get into some football here, some things that people want to hear about, want to know about, want to talk about when it comes to, um, I guess, some changes. New Big 12, and also for the first time in a long time, considerable anticipation for the start of the season. What do you think about that? I think that's a fair assessment. I think fans are excited. Um, maybe most excited. Well, I don't know. There was a lot of excitement about the JT Daniels um, addition, but then again, he wasn't there for spring. So is this the most exciting spring since Neil Brown's first year? I mean, if that, I mean, a new coach, so there's new coach excitement, but man, this is, this could be the most exciting one yet. Or most Probably going back to Dana's last year, right? Yeah, with Will Greer and everybody. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's hey, good news for us. Good news yeah. for the fans. Um, let's get to their questions that they're asking. And I hate to immediately go into downer mode, but that's where some of our questions uh, led with a couple of them uh, centered around the recent departures of DJ Oliver and Charlie Katarinsik. Um one asking, you know, Ed Chambers asking, what is the actual reason it's no longer on the football team? And then GD full kind of going bigger picture and saying, you know, with this being, is this the coach's call or the players, given that we're over the limit for scholarships with still being over three, does spring ball more or less become a fight for survival for some of these guys? How do you see it all playing out? Well, this is your story, Chris. So I really want to hand the ball to you, but I would just think this too. Um, you kind of use your eyes on some of this stuff. Adding Trayvon Dunbar late in the recruiting class 
kind of made you wonder about the future of people at that position. Um, and you probably thought Justin Johnson, Jalen Anderson, Justin Johnson still like on his own little cloud in the portal. Jalen Anderson still on the team. Maybe we missed EJ Oliver. Don't know. Um, but also like they had, they had a hunch. So you figured somebody was leading or there was at least a, a need to overhaul that position there. And then offensive line, believe it or not, Chris, this is what happens when you have a good offensive line now. It just is like, you're going to have quality players that you bring in, but you can only accommodate so many. Um, they spent a lot of time on their offensive line and this, this, kind of dummies it down too much and it makes it inhuman, but like there's going to be collateral damage. And sometime a guy is going to play a position and realize that there's two or three guys who are his age or younger at his position. And, and he knows guys know, I say this a bunch, but guys know. And um, sometimes they know that they're not going to beat the guy in front of them, or they know that they're not fit for this particular job and they go somewhere else. Um, that is my thousand yards away view of this. You were much closer to this than I was. I haven't heard anything particular like, you know, oh, he was so mad or they got in a fight or somebody got in trouble or anything like that. Nothing like that. I, and I put it on the board. I said, look at it this way. Look at the running back room to start. E.J. Oliver was fourth out of the four running backs, most likely, um, that were on campus at this point in time with two exciting young running backs that the coaching staff likes coming in. And then um, Katarinsic, he's what? I think there was going to schedule to be 13 offensive linemen scholarship offensive lineman for spring ball and he was 12th or 13th out of those 13 as far as you know most likely to play and then there's there might even be like somebody like Bryce Biggs who's a, a walk-on who might be ahead of him on the chart as well so th those are the type of scenarios we're talking about I think the bigger question for me and a couple of people asked it was the timing very strange because portal was open and they didn't leave then they waited till the portal closed before they left, which means they're technically not in the portal, which means they technically cannot talk to other schools at this point in time. So they're kind of just in limbo, not on a team, not really technically, wink, wink, um, setting up their next landing spot. Um, but it, the, the timing is strange because I don't know what changed between when the portal was open and when they decided to leave as far as those two scenarios go. Because as far as I know, nothing really, but um it is seems to me just to be a situation where two guys realize, hey, we're pretty far down the depth chart. Some younger guys might be ahead of us. Maybe find a new spot. Yeah, which kind of one makes me want to give the benefit of the doubt to like this not being some weird thing that the coaches were like, man, we got to make room for players. Let's get rid of these two. They do all that stuff at the end of the regular season. Like they have processes for that. They have they have those conversations. They have they'll bring the NIL guy in. They'll bring their their general manager in. They sit down and they're frank about this stuff, too. I don't think that they were like, you know what? Let's double back and tell these two guys that we wanted to stay that they're no longer needed. Um, maybe I'm wrong. That would be kind of like, again, kind of inhumane, right? Because they they are particular about this part of the process and how to do right by the players. And you give them a really frank assessment of their situation. Now, they might have told them in December, this isn't for you. And it might not have clicked until the end of January that it isn't for them. And that's still not on the coaches. Um, it might look weird, especially for Oliver, which is someone who they've really talked about. And I know I've written a bunch about because there's a thing there with him to be that big and that fast and to be running on special teams and tackling people. Um, there's something there. Can he apply it? Can he find the right spot for him? I don't know. This is the place that should be open arms about running backs. It has been. Didn't work here. Kind of makes you curious, doesn't it? And And to your point there about the conversations that the coaches have with the players, Let's circle back on the on the numbers here. Again, our scholarship tracker has West Virginia at 88 scheduled scholarship players for 2024. Um, the max is 85. 
these are conversations. It's not a you're fighting for survival in the spring. Like this is, as you put it, like for the most part, like two mature parties talking to each other about the situation and being quite frank and honest with each other. Like, hey, you are third or fourth on the depth chart. Hey, you are this, but this younger guy is ahead of you. You know, I understand if you would like to leave and we will do everything we can to help you find a new landing spot. That That is how things work. Like coaches will help players. They will reach out. Hey, guys, he's down the depth chart on us, but I think he might be able to fit into your too deep over there, you know, at say whatever school they have. Maybe call up the boys at Troy since they're all friends and like, hey, if you need some spots here, we got a guy. That That's how it works when you have good relationships. Obviously, we've seen situations where player kind of goes behind the coach's backs or does whatever and surprises them and does says things and bad things. And you guys know who I'm talking about here. And it doesn't work out that way. But for the most part, these are conversations, like you said, that happened in December. And even if guys didn't leave, it's like, hey, you know, let's see what happens in the spring. And maybe we have this conversation again. And, and that's how it works out. So they will get to that number. It will be not be some like brutal, you know, kicking kids out that don't want to leave, kicking and screaming kind of thing. It'll just be some honest, frank conversations. They'll probably get under that number, too. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Bob0012 asks, we know how Neil Brown and company handled the staff openings now. How would you have types of hires, GA, et cetera, and what positions? Oh, boy. <laughs> this is a hard one here. I might get blocked on Twitter again. <clears throat> I don't – again, here's – how I would do this is totally different than how Neil Brown would do it because Neil Brown is trusting himself. He's been on his hunches for over a year now, and look where he's at. He's on much firmer ground than he was before. So, like, it's a hard comp. So, I guess the question would be, do you agree with it? Um, I've been wrong for, like, a little bit of time here. I'm just like, this doesn't seem like the right thing, and it has been, right? So, I don't know. I think I don't have an issue with the quarterback coach because I do think that's one he's going to have a lot of involvement with, and he's not a stranger to the quarterback and how he works, right? Obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about the dynamic between Neil Brown and Garrett Green. And if Brown said, you know what? Tyler Allen, he speaks that language. Then that's okay. Like, that's a unique situation in, in, in just within the unique relationship between a play caller and the quarterback or the offensive coordinator, or excuse me, the, the quarterback coach and the quarterback. So you give him the benefit of it out there. And again, Allen's not new to the program, the position, coaching like that. Uh, I think he gets that. The one that's just really curious is how they're doing defense. And like, I would not have endeavored on this. I wouldn't have. It just, it's unusual. Um, if you like, we often say this, like, what's the page or what's the chapter in the manual on how to solve this problem or fix this? And sometimes there is like for basketball, for example, like what, what reference book do you grab off the shelf to figure out how to guide Josh Eiler through this? I don't know. Well, you wouldn't find this chapter in any one of the books on how to get the defensive staff right. I wouldn't have done this. That doesn't mean it's wrong, though. Like, I would have a cornerbacks coach. I would have a safeties coach. I would have a defensive line coach. I would have an inside linebacker coach. And I'll, like, I would do positional things. Maybe I'm not very advanced. Maybe this is like 4D. Maybe this is like chess, Chris, and I'm playing checkers. I don't know. I wouldn't have done this because this is not something I would have seen worked somewhere else and said, you know what? I want to do that. And I'm not sure I would be so bold to say, you know what? I'm smarter than everybody and everything. I'm going to do something that's never been done to fix this problem that's been persisting for a couple of years, right? That's just not what I would have done. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean I'm going to be more critical or less critical of it. I'm going to be very curious to see how it works. But the quarterback thing, whether it's Tyler Allen, whether it's um, Michael Burchett, guys like that who are like 
not necessarily names, but have been on staffs, whether it's at Houston, whether it's at Jacksonville State, whether it's at West Virginia, different capacities, that know Neil Brown, that know how he works with quarterbacks, that's okay. Like I could certainly nod my head at that, and I'm not even sure I wouldn't have done that myself or I wouldn't have grabbed that reference book off the shelf. The defensive one is so far gone for me that I need time to see how it works, and I just I would not have conceived that idea on my own. We're in the same boat on this. Again, not – the Cabral hire might be great. Like he's, he's, he seems like he has a, a solid resume. Seems like he is somebody who could really help out with that position that he's going to be coaching. Special teams it's, too. Yeah. And special teams. But my big thing here is when you're asking, you're asking guys to do a lot. And that, this is something I feel like has been pretty consistent about, you know, guys who go from coordinator to head coach, and then they try to be coordinator too. And, and it's a lot to handle. Like college football, football is complicated. And there's a lot going on. You have a lot of players, a lot of positions, a lot of schemes, a lot of things to do. Recruiting, uh, glad handing, NIL stuff now. It, it's a lot. And now you're asking, you know, Shadon Brown to, I don't want to say double his workload, but it, it it's almost like that. You know, if he's going to now be taking on the safeties as well, it's asking a lot of somebody to handle all of that. And like you said, there's there, there is no precedent for this. We have not seen this. And again, when I first heard this was happening, I asked the person who told me, I said, has anybody else ever done this? I said, not that they knew of. Nobody in power for football has one coach covering the entire secondary all on his own. And, you know, again, maybe it works out. Like you said, this just because it's different or new doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm just concerned about them putting too much on Shadon Brown's plate when We've seen everything else in college football kind of go the other direction where guys get more focused on one position or one play, play and so on. So. Yeah, so I talked to somebody who, who played defensive back for West Virginia um, a couple of years ago and told me that, like, was asking me about this and said, are they going to do this? And I said, yeah, my understanding is uh, what what they're doing is what they're going to do. And the person said, wow, that's that's so strange. And I said, you know what? And he said, the, the practice isn't so much the problem. Like, if you can't trust your graduate assistants to – walk guys through practice and, and to follow the script, that's fine. A lot of the coaching comes in film, um, whether it's after games or after practices, all that stuff. And like your safeties and your corners might meet together, but like you need safety time and you need corner time because they're just different. And, you know, so now like would, would Brown be doing two meetings a day? Would he be doing safeties meetings and corner meetings? Or is he going to like do like a hybrid defensive back meeting where maybe, you know, position gets three quarters of the time it actually deserves. He's still doing more than 100%. Right. He's doing 75% each year. That's 150%. But like each position is only getting 75%. And that was what this person's question or curiosity was like, man, I wonder how that's going to work. And I hadn't thought about that. Never mind him running around and trying to keep his eyes on four guys at practice or after practice, but the instruction in between practices, the post practice film study and teaching, you know, the game prep, the game review. You know, that's that's a lot on on that's a lot in a coach. Even if you really like your graduate assistant, I'm assuming somebody who's new to the spot is going to be obsessive about the time and the attention he devotes to it in order to make it work. Because I'm sure that this was either, maybe not Shadon Brown's idea, but certainly his urging, his encouraging. I don't think he's going to run away and go, no way, I don't want to do this. He's going to try to double down and make sure it works. And that could be good too. Next question comes from White Rhino 42 Do you think Doug Nestor gets drafted? Sounds like he had a good shrine ball. What about Beanie Bishop and his Frazier going in the second round? Mike, your thoughts on these guys as NFL prospects? Yeah, Frazier all of a sudden is, is kind of like getting a lot of workout praise, but it seems like the Oregon center is is maybe like C1 on the draft. I'm not sure you're taking centers in the first round. There, there are pros for it, like Creed Humphrey, going to play for a Super Bowl this weekend. Um, 
that was the first round pick, I believe, and he's done great things. I think he's been like an all-pro level player for a while now, but a lot of people think you can make a guard a center. You could um, find a guy somewhere to play center in the late rounds. I don't know. It just depends on how much someone likes Zach Frazier. You know, would the Steelers roll the dice on a first or second round pick on him because they have a deficiency at center? Maybe. Uh, that's a lot of capital to devote to that position that, you know, does have their hands in the ball every every down, right? That's pretty interesting. Uh, I would think he would get drafted probably, you know, I don't think he's a day one guy, which is first round, but day two for sure. That's rounds two and three. Bishop looks like he's impressed a little bit in his workouts and interviews and certainly did what he was supposed to do by bouncing up to the power five and being a consensus All-American. And to answer the question, Nestor, I just think a guy that's that big, uh, has played inside and outside in a pretty good level in, in high-level football, but also that's a guy who's been, you know, that multi-star recruit so many years ago. Like, teams watch that for a long, long time. I'm not saying they've had a, a dossier on him for five years, but, like, they knew who he was in high school and his freshman year at Tech, and they probably have kept tabs on him since. He stayed in the same region in college, so a lot of the regional scouts who saw him at Tech were able to keep tabs on him at West Virginia. He certainly expanded his visibility by playing throughout the Big 12. So scouts are in the region in, I don't know, Oklahoma and Dallas and, you know, different parts of the Big 12, new eyes on him. Is he a first-day guy? No. Second-day guy? Probably not. I don't know how he would get through seven rounds without getting drafted, though, just based on the 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 buzz of late. Um, my business card, Chris, does not have a whole lot of uh, lines about late-round NFL draft expert, though. That's That's not on the print. You, you you got the right point there about and exactly. I know people hate to hear it about the the uh the star rankings and stuff like that that matters like ha- having the pedigree having the build having the the strength and the athletic ability to always be at that point every coach at every level thinks hey if I could just get my hands on that guy I'll make him amazing and, and not that Nestor was bad but not by any means he's very good at West Virginia he's very good um, for multiple years but coaches look at that stuff this goes back to our discussion and I remember you and I had it right here on this podcast about the Dante Stills versus Darius Stills with the NFL draft and you and I both said Dante Stills is going to go ahead of Darius Stills even though Darius Stills um, had a much better college career or more uh, decorated college career um, but they're going to be looking at that freak athletic ability going all the way back to high school and you know Darius Low three-star recruit, you know, not a whole lot of offers, built his way up. Dante, just physically more gifted, four-star ranking, All-American in high school, all that stuff, just things that they can work for, work with. And, and Nestor's going to be the same way. I think he'll be one of those guys that could go mid-round, just kind of, hey, he was very good in college, and now we can take that and make him really great because of uh, that foundation that dates all the way back to high school. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. Do we have another draft question? No, do we? All right. Let me ask you these two, then. Who gets picked first? Bishop or Nestor? Ooh. Good question. I think you get to a certain level there where like you're gonna have like off the radar candidates who just a team has worked out her scout and says, I like him. This guy might be a bigger name, might have come from a bigger school, but like I like this guy more. And I think that could affect one or both of those guys. Um, and my other question would be, is there a fourth mountaineer picked? So if 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 there is a fourth mountaineer, do we agree that it would be Lee Koba? And we're not or are you thinking of someone else? I'm not sure there's four, and I that would be probably my my God, that like you would think, all right, maybe that's him. Um, mm-hmm. That'd be a tough one, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I like him. I I've been uh, I liked his size. He feels he looks like he plays bigger than maybe he actually is. Um, again, so much of this comes down to measurables and and everything and testing and stuff like that. And where can he fit? And that's probably going to be the end up being the biggest questions for him. Like, is he a true middle linebacker in the NFL? I think a lot of NFL NFL scouts might look at that and say no. Um, but um, he has shown an ability to like kind of get after the um, quarterback. So is it somebody that maybe you can slide outside a little bit? Is he quick enough um, to handle that? The biggest downside, I think, may not be the size, but his ability to defend the pass. Like the NFL, more than any other level of football, is all about passing and being able to defend the pass now or pass rush. And I don't know if he's an elite pass rusher, and he certainly, or at least so far through college, has not been very good at defending the pass either, which kind of makes him not a one trick pony, but you, you know, kind of pigeonholes him into a certain spot that may make it difficult to draft him. I, I just, I do not want to hear the David long comps. It's not fair. David could really move like that. That guy was again, not big. He's never less made it as a Mike in the NFL and he could really run and cover. And again, like a, a billion times I said this, he would not get blocked. He was just too good, too loose, too fast around the edges. Um, you couldn't block him. Um, Koba's a bigger guy, maybe like comes to mass and weight, doesn't move as well, isn't as fast, and probably isn't as good in coverage as David is. So um, I get the height and the West Virginia thing. I understand that, but there's way more to that comp. Next question. It's a couple of them, both related to uniforms. Um, First one from CE5588. Mike and Chris, what have been your favorite WV uniforms? And what would you do different for the next set? Do Do you have a favorite? I'm monochromatic just because I, I just I just like that look. So I like, with the exception of all gold, uh, I like blue on blue. I really like white on white. And that, from helmet to, to pants, um, never been a fan of the all gold. Never mind. I know people have like PTSD from the 13-9 game. That's fine. Um, but I like I like monochromatic. 
I, I don't I don't have like designs on these things, but I think it's when you can show me the different traces and highlights and accessories. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But that's not something I really look at when I watch it on the TV because you can't see when you're on TV sometimes. Right. So yeah. like I think about those basketball uniforms that had like the screen print of, of um, it was a Woodburn or maybe um yeah Woodburn and like Jerry West. I couldn't see that on the court when I was watching the game from press row. So it didn't really matter to me. But yeah, that's cool. But so that is not something that really sticks in my head for football when there's different highlights and, and accents, whatever. I did like the um the the coal uniforms that they wore for what game was that a couple of years ago? Um, remember when people freaked out when they got rid of them? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, those and, were neat. Was it yeah. or was it for a pit game? I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, to be frank, I just don't care about uniforms that much. So these next two questions, I might sit out. I might go get a refill. I'm not sure. Um, but like I like monochromatic. I don't like. Gold on blue, blue on gold, blue on white. Okay, that's fine. But like, I just like monochromatic looks. It's always been my thing. And I'm with you 100% on the little, the little things. It's cool. Like, it's really cool when you put like, you know, the little map of West Virginia and it's the country roads and it has the the map of the state there with the with the actual roads. But who's seeing? Like, no one's seeing that. So that that doesn't play much of a factor in my view of what those look like. Um, the what do they call it? What are the what do the kids call it nowadays? The snow troopers, the stormtrooper look, the stormtrooper Storm. look with the all whites. That's your thing. Um, I'm I'm good with those. I think those look cool, especially at night, like when you can go with the all white like that. Um, big fan of the all blue, just like you said. Um, Ooh, gray, forgot about gray. Yeah, but I don't know. It, it, I'm with you. It doesn't matter to me. It does matter to recruits. So you do have to kind of keep updating it um, every few years. And they they check that out. They are interested in that, which leads us to our next question from Preston Co. What are you hearing on new uniforms for football, maybe basketball this year? Are we getting new uniforms? If so, anything about the direction Brown and Baker are taking them? No idea. Honestly, I read okay. this question. I was like, did I miss something? Um, no idea. I, I've it's if I'm a bad beat writer for this, guilty, I guess. I just the uniform thing when it comes up, I don't know when they're due. I know like the Nike elite thing. I've talked, I used to talk to Huggins about that quite a bit, um, but I couldn't, I don't know when they're due. What's up, what's coming. I have no idea. I don't even know how old. Then they just had the new font like three years ago. We're like, Oh, this is the future. Like now it's, it's not good anymore. I have no idea. I'm, I'm pleading ignorance on this one here. You can aim your arrows at me. That's fine. I get it. Just, I'm not up to speed on this one. That's what uh, you come for. To, yeah. I mean, well, just to let everybody know the answer is yes, probably in the next year or two, because it usually happens every five or six years. I believe the last set was was Neil Brown's first season on campus. And that would make, you know, it's it's not, it's not going to be this year. Like I don't think, I think we're too far gone, too close to the season for them to really be doing that. I mean, I know it's still several months this season, but I think more will be coming out about that. But maybe 2025, because um, again, now you're getting to the five, six-year window and you're looking for something new and fresh for, uh, Nike to roll out. Um, I don't know how long those deals are that they the school usually sets up with Nike, but I imagine it's pretty much around that length because that's about how often West Virginia's got new new uniforms. So how how dramatic do you think they can go? I say this is like I'm a I'm a I'm a Liverpool football fan, right? Have you seen their uniforms? No. Okay, take a second. Like this is a red and white. I watch black. soccer. This is a red and white Thank scarf you. next to me, right? Yeah. Um, when you're free, Google like the Liverpool kits right now. Kit, not uniform, kit. And you're going to be offended by this. I promise you, right? 
um, the colors and the and the the hues. It's it's out, outrageous to me sometimes. Like I'm not buying one of these, and I understand like the reason you make them is because people are gonna buy them. Like and fans. Wait, is this up green and white? Am I looking? Oh at this? my green god! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not my Maybe, thing. Man. That's my club. Not my thing. Um, and I just can't imagine like I have like Torres and Gerard jerseys that are like red and white. I'm like I'm not buying this. Like well, I'm not buying a Van Dyke jersey. Period. But like I'm not buying a green Van Dyke jersey because this is awful. So how how dramatic can you get? Like. You're never going to go away from the old golden blue, I guess. But like, what if they were like, you know what? We're going to do canary yellow and black coal, like something like that. Like, would people be okay with that? I have no idea. But like, that's like, that would be a dramatic uniform shift for me. But if you're like, you know what? This blue is a, well, it's just a little bit darker over here. And we have some nice accents of the white with the gold. Like, okay, cool. Do we have to like roll out like a fashion show and the catwalk on the 50 yard line of the spring game and auction off like what Rashid Marshall is wearing here? I get that. that's why they do that. But like, I just don't know what the difference is and like how excited they are to get about it. And again, this is like, like old man yelling at the cloud stuff, I guess. I don't know. Just I've never gotten that, but I've never actually bought a West Virginia jersey. So like people can enlighten me on this, I guess. And if they can figure out what's coming and what's new. Cool. Because that's probably who they're pitching this for. Not for me on a podcast to talk about. Obviously, probably not doing very well on this, but the whole like obsession about this makes me go back to whole like so much is changing. Are people okay with this? But like how much is actually changing? It's still going to be the the blue, the gold, the periodic gray, I guess, um, unless they're doing away with that. But um, I also just wonder if there's like something dramatic out there, like the black basketball uniforms, even the gray. That's dramatic. It's a bit different than what you're used to. But like how far do you go on this? I don't know. Next question comes from Luke Zoolander 01. Out of the current football assistance, assistance who is the best recruiter? You want me to hop in and take this one? Um. Yeah, go ahead. Because I, I I have my answers. It's not the right answer, I'm guessing, but I'm curious. No, I, I mean, I think really it's going to shift from cycle to cycle, first off. Uh, second off, some guys are just naturally not really put, I want to say not put in a position to be the best recruiters. Um, Just given like, hey, you know, like a quarterback, like uh, presumably Tyler Allen's going to take over the same kind of situation as Sean Reagan. And it's just going to be like, hey, you are spot recruiting quarterbacks and you're only going to get one, maybe each class in you know, maybe you recruit a couple kids out of a certain high school in, in uh, Alabama like Reagan did, and that's it. So, like, some guys are just not going to be part of this conversation no matter what happens. Um, but as far as the most recent cycle goes, which in the world of recruiting, that's all we care about, look at somebody like Chad Scott. Look at somebody like Shadon Brown, both of them very much involved in a lot of guys on um, at, at a lot of different positions, not only their positions where they are recruiting, you know, again, that running back room looks great. The defensive back room, they really added a lot of uh, a lot of players and kind of, you know, shed some kids that had they got commitments from. And we're like, hey, we we got too many now and we, we got to get rid of them. Um, and, and both of those guys have done well with that. And also recruiting into like their recruiting territories for other positions as well. Sometimes to think about like the position, you have to have a certain personality to do it. And I think that like for a long time now, people have said that like wide receiver is the diva position. Um, and just like a couple of years ago, Neil Brown said, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have a ton of um, receivers in your roster because you can only get the ball to so many. And like sooner or later, people are going to get upset. But like, I'm not saying Bilal Marshall is a diva, but like he's from South Florida. He played the position in college. I think he can speak their language. And I think that not necessarily that he's only going to re recruit receivers, but I think that diva thing is like, you can connect to a, number of kids on different levels not just receivers you can speak their language there so i think that he can connect and like not surprisingly brown has had a lot of good things to say about him as a recruiter on the other side like where you recruit 
I think is important too. And like Jeff Coons, like that's an upstate New York guy, but I, I can just see him fitting into rooms in Western Pennsylvania and Southeast Ohio. And, and I think you said this last time, Chris, they've kind of repositioned him to go into Ohio and do more work there that I believe you said Dante Wright had vacated, correct? Uh, Dante Wright had the Northwest portion of Ohio up near like, what is that Toledo and stuff like that? Um, well, uh, Jordan Leslie had central and Southern and now Jeff Coons, it seems to be a little more involved in, in other spots as well. And just his personality, middle linebackers, special teams, like that, that's just a fit. Like the way that those people are up there in the living rooms he's going into, the communities he's going into, I think he can blend in pretty well there too. So um, they, they've got a mix of like players and backgrounds uh, on the staff, like their experience and also where they're from and, and how they can fit in They're uh, I don't know if chameleon is the right word, but you can see that there's certainly some, some personality slash recruiting versatility that works out pretty well. All right. Names only on this one, Mike, from D Sprad. Your picks, early picks, predictions for MVP of spring football. Give me two on offense, two on defense. All right, let's do the non-Garrett Green edition then. How's that? Yeah. Um, Jaheim White, just because, like, I don't think you're going to see a lot of C.J. Donaldson, and they're, they're just going to be kind of at a shortage there, and why not let him take off? And, and I just think that the, the tight end thing of Cole Taylor, like, that's just the natural one we get fixated upon. You could say Hudson Clement. You could say Traylon Ray. I get that, but – just there's something next level with Taylor that they they kind of scratched, tickled the surface with last year. They can really get into it, and why not do that in the spring? Yeah, my pick would have been trailing Ray there too. I'm with yeah. you. Some of the guys, just naturally, especially the veterans, are going to be sitting out sometimes. Guys that have been hurt, so you're not going to see everybody out there. Uh, defense for a guy like Ben Cutter, like I think you know he's going to be a little bigger, a little stronger. Um, he's going to be getting more of the reps, and they're going to be moving him all over the place. I don't know how much we're going to see the guys who are coming back from injury um, at that linebacker spot, yeah. uh, like Lathan and like Trotter. So it might be a lot of cutter in that linebacker room and, um, and go from there. Who are the two biggest stars from the new additions? Ooh, what do you mean by this then? Uh, that was this, that was the second part of his question from the new additions uh, transfers. So I guess it's gotta be transfers and it's gotta be early enrollees. Um, only a handful of early enrollees on Wuka, the edge, Boyce, Jennings uh, in the secondary, Kinsler on the edge, Gabriel, an interior defensive line, and Samarco at tight end, and then all of your transfers, Bosley, Jackson, Carrico, French, Crandall, Bray, and Garnes. So we're doing like one on offense, one on defense here? Was just it two on each Yeah, side? give me one. Um, yeah. I'm going to like go off the board here too, but like just there's something with Zay Jennings, isn't there? Like I just feel yeah. like he's here. They, they have him as like an athlete and they're like, he's probably going to play here, but he could play here. Like they have knees in certain spots. Is he going to be a corner? Is he going to be a spear? Maybe. I don't know. That would be one I would certainly look at to see what they can do. And boy, it'd be really hard for me not to like take a look at like Xavier Bossley in the right tackle spot and try to figure out what they're going to do. Like that's a, that's that, you know, freshman all American kind of guy who's here because they really valued him and wanted to see if he could do it. Um, I don't know if star is the right word, but if you put star for like what a coach would want, someone that could come in from the portal and make an impact right away, but also across time, he's got potential to do that. The thing is, Chris, like there's a bunch of guys in this list though, aren't there? Yeah, there's, there's a handful, but you know what the most WVU football thing ever is? Somebody comes in an idea. Yeah. (laughs) Makes a big splash in the spring. It's all we talk about all spring long, all summer long. And then you hardly ever see him in the fall. Or maybe you see him some, but he doesn't have quite as big of a role. And I'm not saying this is going to happen. 
I hope it doesn't happen because I, I think I actually suggested him as being the biggest addition in this class for the new guys. And that was edge rusher Ty French. I just It feels like one of those scenarios where he can step in, make a bunch of plays in the spring. All of a sudden, everyone's talking, this is it. This is the bandit. This is going to be the new thing. This is going to be the pass rush. And then it doesn't really come to fruition later. Not Not necessarily because of him or anything like that. It's just it feels like that's a story that we've seen happen a few too many times already. Hey, what's the book on Jennings? What do you think? Big, strong, athletic. Um, it was funny. I think one of the very first times I talked to uh, Capital S, someone about him, like you got to see some of his other sports films too, like him just playing all these other sports and being just the most athletic guy in everything that he does. And and I think that kind of speaks to what your your point earlier about him just being so versatile and being able to play a lot of spots for them. Yeah. Um. Last question. This is it. We got three minutes. Oh, I could have made this a three minute video. Sandwich asks, right now, where would you rank WVU football in the Big 12 going into next season? Well, we're talking like numbers or tiers here. I think that they're going to be in the contending tier right now. Does that mean that there's only three teams in that group or there's five teams in that group? Shoot, I don't know. Like, it's going to be – there's just so much answer. But right now, like, they're certainly a top-half team. I'm not sure I would have them top four. I don't think I'd have them number eight though. So like if you, if I was, if I put them number five in my preseason poll, I don't think people would be mad at me about that. Neil Brown or the person who asked this question. So I would say like right now I would, I mean, I could look at different things and their schedules and I've kind of looked at it and I like their schedule. I also think it's difficult, but I like it. Um, if they were, they would be I'm trying to think in my head how I did this before I had them fourth or fifth in my preseason poll. My, my January, late January preseason poll. Wow. But again, wow! I haven't seen them practice. I haven't heard anything from other teams, so I don't know. But like, I I think they're again. Am I wrong here? Upper half, but also in the contending part of the upper half too. I don't think that those are reaches. No, and I think that's what makes this this seem so weird, interesting, intriguing, very exciting about this coming year. Is that you mentioned it right at the start there, where you said, "Are they you know a contender? Is that contender tier three or five? Is it six? That's where this is different because I feel like every year we come into the season where there's like, hey, there are two favorites, you know, maybe two two teams that are the favorites. And then there's a, a tier under that of three to four teams that are contenders, if you will. This year, I don't feel like there's a favorite. Like there's nobody that I'm looking at on this list and be like, man, they are so overloaded with returning talent or killed it in the portal so much that or their quarterback's so amazing that et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like, yeah, what is there, like four to six teams that you could say are a contender um, yeah. for next year? And we've gone over this before. I, I think West Virginia is one of those four to six teams. I'd like to know what Utah did and how large the fruit basket was they sent to the Big 12 office because that schedule, woo, that, that moves them up quite a bit, I think, in my eyes. You got them. I mean, I, I don't think Finn, we, we talked about this with the quarterback rankings. We both love Finn, who's over at Baylor now. Um, but is he turning that entire team around on his own? I don't think it's enough. But, yeah, yeah, you got Utah. You got um, Arizona is going to be, even still with all the turmoil there, somebody that, that, that people are going to talk about. Again, West Virginia's got to be in there as well. Yeah, I agree. 
Well, Mike, I think that covers everything except for two questions, which again, one of these we answered yesterday on the three minutes and tomorrow we'll answer on the other three minute video. So uh, thanks to everybody for sending in their questions, but that, that it covers everything in the mailbag. Everything, two editions. Don't complain. We'll do it again sometime soon, I'm sure. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.